What has been such an honor and a privilege to have so many of you send in texts and emails this week talking about how the message we gave last week about dealing with fear and how to real tangibly work on your thoughts and change out those reels was helpful to you. In fact, many of you said it not only helped you and your family as you watched you know, on your phone or on iPad. I had one friend said he was sending it to a thousand of his friends. It was so impactful for him. And many of those emails were already coming back to him. And he sent me notes of people saying, so helpful for us. Really helped during this time. Especially since for the last week, it seems like every two days we get, if not every 12 hours, we're hearing more incredible, uh, unprecedented news about how our life is changing. Another friend sent me probably six emails because he forwarded that message to, I think, 500 friends. And each person sent back a really nice note. This was so helpful during this very, very difficult week. And I hope this message will be helpful as well. As we head into the Easter season, we're going through a time that the church calls a time of Lent, a time of reflecting on Jesus. I want to call this power trip, the countdown to the cross. We're going to look at Jesus and how he faced his most difficult day. How did he do it? And hopefully we can see how he faced his most difficult day. How can we face our most difficult time as well? You see, Jesus is going to be able to face, you can't even believe all the things crammed into 24 hours. And in that 24 hours, he's going to overcome fear. He's going to overcome the betrayal of two of his people, mutiny, the whole town turning against him and ultimately overcome death in three days. I don't know about you, but I want, I want access to that kind of power. In fact, let me give you an idea. I have a timeline here of just what Jesus is going to face here in a 24-hour period of time. Now, right now at 6 to 7 p.m., he's having a preparation meal with his disciples. Then by 9 p.m., he's going to be praying in the garden and saying, God, help me, take this away from me. I don't want these circumstances. By 12 a.m., Judas is going to show up with a group of soldiers, and they're going to actually take him into custody. Then, at 1 to 6 a.m., he's going to have a trial before Caiaphas' house, where Peter's going to deny him. Again, this is just from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. That's 12 hours. Then, by 6 a.m., he's going to be tried for Pilate, Sent to Herod, who's right next door. He's going to be scourged, which means put up on a pole and whipped until literally the flesh falls off his body. That's 6 a.m. Then 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. is when the crucifixion begins and he walks his way to the cross. By 12 p.m., there's going to be darkness over the land as he begins to die. At 3 p.m., he chooses the time of his own death at the same time that the priests, according to the historian Josephus, killed the Passover lambs for sacrifice. Then by 5.30 or 6 p.m., Jesus will be buried and the disciples that evening will have the Passover meal on Passover. Wow. And Jesus is going to face all of those circumstances in a 24-hour period of time. Jesus is like the Jack Bauer, Right? And I don't know about you, but imagine if you believe Jesus is real, and if you believe this is history, and it claims to be, and the archaeological evidence shows that it is, that somebody faced the most difficult, the most challenging day of his life and overcame fear, overcame death, overcame uncertainty, overcame all kinds of things outside of his control. And here's what's ironic. If you think about your week, just like last week, themes, things seem kind of normal. Seven days later, our whole world has changed. The same thing happened to Jesus. 
It was just one week ago. Everyone was celebrating and cheering. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And less than a week later, he's being scourged, denied, betrayed, and those same people are crying out, crucify him, crucifying him. I want to give you a quick picture how to experience what Jesus has had. So we're going to watch a quick video, and I want you to see in kind of 24 style exactly what it's like for Jesus to face the highest of highs and the lowest of lows all within one week. Let's watch. So Jesus begins this 24-hour period of time by meeting with his disciples and having dinner with them. And it's here he's going to predict the bad circumstances coming his way in the next 24 hours, and they are not going to hear a word of it. But I want you to imagine, if, if Jack Bauer was a real character, and you knew as you were facing the uncertainty of today, last week, next week, if you knew Jack Bauer was with you, right? You had his strength, his ingenuity, his ability to overcome you'd say, you know what? I don't like these circumstances, but I'm sure glad I got him with me. I want to present a Jesus who is so powerful that what he's overcoming, Jack Bauer wishes Jesus was on his side. And Jesus is going to demonstrate a new way of looking at power. The way he sees power is not like the Jewish Sanhedrin. It's also not at all like the Romans and the Greeks of his day who used their power to hoard it over people. Let me show you the difference between the two. See, the Romans tried to secure power from other people through fear. Fear is what they used to, to secure power. Everyone who doesn't listen to Rome will be dominated in triumph. While Jesus used secure power, he was secure in his identity, secure in his peace, secure that God was in control. And he used secure power to serve people who were in fear. 
And I think we need to do the same thing. How do we have a place of security in our own hearts during this challenging time and use that to serve people, friends, neighbors, employees who are in desperate fear during this time? Now remember, last week we looked at how we think about people and circumstances can help us respond differently to people and circumstances. Well, our passage opens with Jesus' real, how he's thinking about this. Jesus knows something. He's thinking a certain way. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. So he's about to go through the worst day of his life, but he knows he has a heavenly Father who loves him. Two, he knows that even in these circumstances that seem like God has left the building, that he is in God's hands. God has given all these things into his hands. And that he had come from God, he knows where he's come from, and he knows where he was going. So the worst they could do is kill him, and he knew that was going to result in him being exalted to God. So what does he know? Three things. He knows he has a father who's given authority into his hands. He's in his dad's hands. He knows where he's been. He's God's son. He came from God. And he's knowing where he's going. He's going back to God. So again, let's go back to that reel. If you remember last week, I talked about the idea that for many of us, we react because an action occurs. An action results in reaction. And I said the problem is, what usually flips, flips the switch is people and circumstances. The problem is you can't control people and circumstances. So if somebody flips the switch, school is canceled, the governor makes an announcement, restaurants are closed, stock market's going down, and action leads to reaction, I am panicked, I'm out of control, I'm making all these adjustments. And what I propose to you is that there's two more steps. When that action you can't control occurs, there's something you can play in your head, a reel, and that turns on the bulb of your feelings, and that produces your reaction. So with Jesus, he knows, he's told his disciples, I'm about to face crucifixion and scourging and death. One of you is going to deny me. One of you is going to betray me. He knows the action's coming his way. But he puts on this reel. However, as I go through this, I know my father is with me. I have a loving father who, who's placed me in the palm of his hands. What kind of feelings would that produce? I don't like my circumstances, but my dad is with me. My dad loves me, and my dad's in control. Two, he knows his real where he came from. I came from God. And I'm here to serve others. So in these difficult circumstances, how can I serve others? Because that's what I've been called to do. He knows where he's come from. And he knows where he's going. He knows ultimately the way he serves and dies and sacrifices for people during this time will result in God exalting him to the right hand of God. So he has hope and he has courage because of this real, how he thinks about power. Knowing that the Father is with him knowing he's in God's hands, knowing where he's been and where he's going. I want you to have the same thing. I want you as you face the uncertainty, and let's face it, there's gonna be more and more uncertainty this week. As the tests are made available for the virus, there is no doubt the number is gonna go up exponentially just because we now can assess, right? And when that happens, there's gonna be a huge action reaction around us. But what if you in the middle of that stay focused on the real? You know what? God is with me, I'm in his hands. 
I know where I've been. I know where I'm going. And I have a father, a Jack Bauer, who's faced a horrible 24 hours in his life, who's with me in these circumstances. God, give me courage and give me hope. You know, Paul Blarney knew exactly that. Again, in his book, Survivor's Club, by Ben Sherwood, he tells the story of Paul. And Paul was able to survive a life raft in the Baltic Sea. And it was devastating. Everyone was fearful. Everyone was panicked. Everyone looked sickened with fear. And Paul knew if he wanted to survive, he had to handle things differently in that life raft that day. He said one of the guys in the life raft having the biggest struggle was what he called Mr. Positive. Mr. Positive kept kind of rearing everybody together. Yeah, we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. Which is great, except that he kept setting arbitrary deadlines. He kept saying things like, okay, next hour, I know a helicopter's going to come. And there wouldn't be a helicopter next hour. And all those false expectations came crashing down. And pretty soon, Mr. Positive sat in a slump in the life raft. Why? It's because when we set arbitrary deadlines, we come to grips with or come face to face with a syndrome called the the Stockdale Paradox. The Stockdale Paradox was actually named after Admiral Stockdale. You may remember him from the election of Roche Perot. You say you're talking about difference, I'm talking about deficit. His running mate was Admiral Stockdale, who was known for surviving many, many, many years as a POW in Vietnam. And what he describes is those who want to survive in a POW camp can't set arbitrary deadlines. He said the first people who gave up hope and died in the POW camp were the, were the optimists. Why? They kept saying, I know the U.S. government. I know God will have me out by Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving would come and go. And they wouldn't be out. It would definitely by Christmas. Come and go. What he did is he said, I'm going to survive ultimately. No arbitrary deadlines. It's probably going to take several years, but I will succeed. And it was that mindset that helped him persevere and survive in a POW camp. When we fall prey to the Stockdale paradox, we set arbitrary deadlines. I know for sure we're going to get back to normal. The kids are going to be back in school for sure, for sure, for sure in a week, in a month, for sure by July 1st. Don't set arbitrary deadlines. Now, Paul Barney knew that. So that day, he focused keeping his mind while in that life raft. He did breathing techniques to keep himself calm. He looked for people to serve. He pulled over next to this Estonian woman. She was just panicked almost statuesque and paralyzed. He began to stroke her hair, just say, hey, I'm here, and I'm with you. As everyone else was terrified, he kept his mind alert with several thoughts, several ways he thought about the circumstance. He kept looking for different problems to solve to keep his mind alert. He started telling himself, I am not gonna die in the Baltic Sea. I'm going to survive. He started making plans for the future. What am I going to do when we get out of here? What are the things I haven't yet accomplished yet in life? He kept focusing on the future without setting arbitrary deadlines. Several hours later, a helicopter did show up. But even then, he said, he didn't let his mental guard down. It was in that moment, he said, I'm still going to wait until everyone else is on the helicopter until I kind of let myself go. And it's a good thing he did. The helicopter came in, lowered down and picked up the first man, and he was panicked. As he was brought up, 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 up to the helicopter, he panicked and fell back into the sea. And all of a sudden, morale in the lifeboat just oh, collapsed again. But not for him. For Paul, he kept focusing on, we're eventually going to get out of here. Helicopter left, brought back some new 
techniques and new abilities to lift people up, came down, lifted each person one at a time. And finally, he was the last person lifted up. And it's once he was in the helicopter, he then handed over responsibility to the rescuers and let himself mentally get relieved. Now look what Paul did as he faced a Baltic Sea lifeboat. He thought about how do I breathe, how do I calm myself so that I can help others. He thought about the future. I don't know when the future is going to occur, but I want to have a future. I'm not going to die here. I'm making plans. He kept himself alert and he didn't set arbitrary deadlines. That was one of the secrets of how he survived. Now, Jesus offers a real And here's what's interesting about the main message of the Bible. It's called grace. The grace of God is that we are secure in our relationship with God, not based on what we do, but based on what he did. And based on what he did on the cross during this week, we can know we have peace with God, and we don't want to die. We've got a lot of great things to do. But even if we did die, we know for sure we have peace with God because we have the forgiveness that comes from what Jesus did on the cross. All right, so I want to give you three lessons that kind of flow out of Jesus, real, of knowing God, knowing where he's been, and where he's going. Here's our first lesson. Secure power, when you're secure in your identity and secure in your power, secure power is meant to be poured out, not positionally hoarded. Remember, the Greeks and Romans and the Jewish Sanhedrin were like, get power for yourself. Jesus says, no, 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 no. When you know you're from God... When you know you have a heavenly father, you don't hoard your power. You use that secure place of peace to pour out to other people. Look what he does. It's shocking. Jesus, knowing that the father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, what? What do you think he says next? If it was your boss or your dad or your CEO, what would you say? Knowing you're in charge, I told people what to do. Protected myself, looked out for number one. Knowing he was from God, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments. He took a towel and girded himself. Now this was unheard of. Again, Jesus is sitting at the table, the position of honor, and knowing he's in a position of honor where everyone typically would serve the person in honor. But Jesus, knowing he was God, knowing that he was in his, uh, the hands of his heavenly father, that mindset said, what God does in situations like this is not secure my power, but use the security I have in my identity to rise, take off my garments, and go and serve others. And that's exactly what he did. So he gets down, and he brings out a basin of water, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Again, these are people who are walking in sandals at best through the mountains. These are not necessarily clean feet. There's probably diseases at times. There's certainly lots of dirt. And typically a servant would wash the feet of everyone at a dinner. But the head of the household would never pour out and get his hands dirty washing other people. But Jesus says, I came to wash people because that's what God does. He uses these opportunities to serve others. He rose and washed others' feet. Now notice. So after that, Jesus poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel which he was girded. 
Then he came to Simon Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, are you, you? People like, no, 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 that's not how power works. You should be seated there. You are washing my feet? No, 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 no. Jesus answered and said to him, what, am I do- what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will. You will know that after this, this is the kind of mindset I want my people to have. During challenges, use your position, use your authority to pour out service to other people. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. This idea of using your position authority to serve other people was foreign to the disciples living in a Greek and Roman world. Jesus, you, you're doing this? And remember, Jesus had a heck of a day. We're just beginning the process here between 6 to 7 p.m., but he's demonstrating before he goes into these circumstances, he is here to pour himself out to wash and to cleanse other people. That's what he's about. And as the day gets worse, that's exactly what happens. Jesus continues to pour himself out in service, pour himself out by serving and helping other people during this time. I read an interesting story. And the story uh, described a coach. Coach Brubaker was his name, and he had just taken over a lacrosse team in college, and it was doing horrible. I mean, just horrible. And he had found this young star in high school named Stephen who wanted to sign for his team, and he couldn't wait to have him on the team. Well, Stephen refused to sign in the fall. But he says, Coach, I'm, I'm going to sign. Yeah, yeah, but why not yet? He refused to sign in the winter. It wasn't until like the last possible moment he actually signed on the dotted line and signed up for that, that class. This was a kid that the whole way he responded seemed weird. So the coach sat down with him and said, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. He said, why did it take you so long to sign up with my team if you planned on doing it all along? He said, well, coach, by not signing with you right away, I had lots and lots of scouts, lots and lots of coaches who came to my games all fall and all winter. And even though I planned on signing with you, those extra recruiters came to my games and I had a lot of teammates who weren't up for scholarships and no one would have come to see them play. But by waiting to sign with you, many of my teammates were able to get scholarships. And the coach was just shocked that this young kid, instead of using his authority and position as an athlete to secure a scholarship real quick, to get his uh, reputation out and get the newspaper writing, he instead was using this leverage he had, this position of authority he had, to serve his teammates. How about you? During this unique time when we're spending a lot of time at home, having a lot of communication with a lot of stressful people, are you the kind of boss Are you the kind of mom? Are you the kind of dad that's going to be known for pouring yourself out for the people around you? When your kid's a little crabbier than normal, incredibly disappointed, all the change and what's coming out of them, are you going to be secure? God is with me. God has forgiven me of many things. God, how can I pour out grace and patience and compassion to my spouse, to my kids, or to my employees during this time. I remember uh, I had a job opportunity that things weren't going well between my boss and I. 
And I couldn't decide what percentage was my fault and what percentage was his fault. I knew some percentage was mine. I just didn't know if it was you know, 5% or 45%. So I decided to do a 360 review on myself. I went back to my previous job and I began to interview and have lunch with several people who worked for me. One of them was my friend Chris. And I'll never forget, we're sitting in the car that day and Chris was driving and I was sitting over here and we just finished eating a lunch together and I said, can I ask you a question? I'm really doing some introspective work. When I was your boss, was there anything in me you saw that was a weakness? And Chris and I have been good friends for many, many years. And, and he kind of says, no, no, this is really good working for you. I said, no, really. Tell me. I, I want to know. And because I was secure that I'd been forgiven of whatever I'd done wrong, I was more open to feedback. And he was bold enough to tell me. He looked over in the car that day to me, and I looked at him. And Chris said, well, Chad... I just think there were a lot of times you came across kind of arrogant. That you thought that maybe you were all that. And I think that attitude that sometimes was confidence but sometimes was arrogance, sometimes you made it all about you. I'm not sure what I expected to hear that day, but it wasn't that. But you know, I was grateful. I was grateful that someone was bold enough and loved me enough to speak truth into my life. And because I was secure in God's forgiveness of forgiving me of all the things I've done wrong, I was able to hear it. I was able to learn from it. I was able to grow from it. I want to be the kind of leader who washes the servants' feet, washes the feet of my family, helps them, doesn't make it all about me and where I'm seated. So that's our first point. Let's move to the second what does it look like for us to look at the second lesson of power? Secure power is meant to be poured out, is what Jesus tells us. The second thing we realize is that secure power is a place to serve, not a place to sit. It's a place to serve, not a place to sit. Now, what do I mean? Again, if you were living during Jesus' time, very much this was an opportunity when you thought about power. It was, where am I seated at the meal, if I'm a Greek or Roman, I'm an emperor. It's all about the seats and the positions. Jesus shows us that secure power is a place to serve from. How do I use the influence I have, the the authority I have, not to position myself to sit, but instead to serve? Look what happens. Jesus answered Peter, who just said, you can't wash me. If I do not wash you, you have no part of me. So Simon Peter said to him, Oh, if you say it that way, Lord, would not just my feet then, my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. This metaphor here we need to understand. When you become a follower of Jesus, Jesus is saying it's like you've been bathed. You get washed, all of you, your past, your present, and your future. That's what grace is. You say, God, I've done a lot of stuff wrong. I put other things as a higher priority than you. Forgive me. And at that moment that you recognize that Jesus' death on the cross died just for you personally, the gift of grace comes into your life and it washes you like a bath of the past, the present, and even the future wrongdoing. So once you're bathed, you don't need to keep getting bathed. God, you know, forgive me again, forgive me again. But you do need to occasionally wash your hands. And that's the discipline of confession. 
That's where you say to God, God, can you wash my hands? I want to agree with you that I did something wrong. And I want to thank you that it's something you've already forgiven me for. So as a Christian, you can know you're forgiven. That's why you're secure. You're forgiven past, present, and future in the bath. And yet also, you can regularly bathe yourself in thanking God that you discovered something, arrogance with my friend, uh, self-centeredness, fear, uh, losing your temper, and say, God, thank you, you've already forgiven this, I'm bathed, but I want to wash my hands or wash my feet to acknowledge that you were right. That's what's going on here. So again, this is a key idea about service and how we see position. For he knew who would betray him. Jesus said, there's one of you who's not clean. One of you has been around me your whole life, but you've never been washed or bathed by me. He knew who would betray him, Judas. Therefore, he said, you're not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You know what I've done? I've shown you that a position of leadership is a place to serve others, not to sit and be served. Guys, do you understand this? What I'm doing to you, I want you to do to others. So think about leadership and power this way. The goal of power is not to keep your place or protect your place or defend your place, but to make a place to serve others. Now, isn't that like the opposite of what we see in our culture? I mean, is it more often than not that instead what we see is people defending their place and and they're so insecure, they're protecting their job, especially during this time where there's so much fear, there's gonna be a tendency to defend your place and keep your place instead of using your place or making a place to serve others. And do you know who's the most famous person who's known for giving away power? George Washington. You see, we were fighting against a King George, and we had a revolution, and we won. But just as we'd won the war, there was an officer in the army named Nicola. And at that point, the federal government couldn't tax, only the states could. So Nicola sent a note to George Washington and said, George, I think there's a way we could have a monarchy without all of the authoritarianism. So you know what? I know we're kind of fighting for a democratic republic, how about we just make you King George? England's got a King George. We'll have a King George. And George Washington, who had the opportunity, who was beloved, he just won a war, he gave away power by refusing to be the king. Here's what he wrote back to Nicola. Be assured, sir, that no occurrence in the course of war has given me more painful sensations than your information of there being such ideas existing in the army as you have expressed that I would want to be king. And I must view with abhorrence and reprehend with severity, wrote Washington. I am much at a loss to conceive what part of my conduct would have given encouragement to such an address, which to me seems big with the greatest mischiefs that can befall my country." If I am not deceived in the knowledge of myself, you could not have found a person to whom your schemes are more disagreeable. Wow. George Washington could have been king, but instead he gave up power to serve others and create a country that was a republic that represented all of the people. He was known for giving up power. Are you going to use your position of authority right here and now to serve others? to defend your place 
or to make a place to serve others. Thirdly, what's the third principle we see here that comes from Jesus' life? And that's this. Secure power is an opportunity to be an example to pattern. You're going to be an example to pattern to the people around you. They're going to be looking to you. How are you responding? How anxious are you? How fearful are you? How overwhelmed are you? We're going to be in real close proximity to our spouses, real close proximity to our kids. There's just a lot of uncertainty. Will you be secure in the peace you have from God, knowing you have a heavenly father, that you can set a pattern? See, you and I are, are an example of the culture we're trying to create. What kind of culture are you creating right now? Look what Jesus says. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. For if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, then you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, a pattern. I want you to do unto others as I have done unto you. That you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. Are you and I going to set a pattern, an example of the culture during this crisis that people can look to? Are we going to, like Jesus, say, how do I pour out to other people the way God poured out to me? And this was very foreign, this idea of using your power to serve other people. In fact, it was antithesis to the Greeks and Romans. The Greek and Romans had a system that you and I picked up a few vocabulary words from. Some of the words are patron and client. In the Greek world, if you were a patron, you would pay different clients. You would give them resources, you would give them food, you might give them money. And so they were basically your employees. And as your clients, their job was to come to court. When you gave a speech, blah, 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 blah. Their job was to clap no matter how bad it was. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. So the deal was, you paid them a little, and they would clap for you and make you or increase your dignitas. That's where we get the word dignity. So your dignity was based on how other people clapped and said how important you were, and what you said was just amazing and marvelous. Jesus turns this upside down. Instead of saying the client's job is to make the patron look good, I want the patron to serve the client's and make that the point. Bring dignity to the people around us. How can you and I do exactly that? Turn the culture upside down by serving and focusing on other people during this challenging time. How do we do it? Well, I think we need to focus on towels, washing people's feet, in a culture obsessed with titles. How do we do that? How do we prioritize towels in a world obsessed with titles. Well, there's several ways we want to do that as a church, and I want to give you a couple of those. I was reading a book several years ago called Jesus CEO. It was written by the author. Her name is uh, Laura Beth Jones. She was helping different medical companies in their marketing department and built this massive company that was doing incredibly well helping different hospitals and different doctors do their marketing. She showed up to a marketing seminar and the person was teaching leadership from Attila the Hun. And she's looking around like people are taking notes and scribbling down how to be a good leader like Attila the Hun. And she's like, you do know how Attila the Hun died, right? No, how did, how did he die? 
he was like stabbed in bed by his wife. So whatever leadership he had, apparently it didn't really um, go over well in the household. She said, I think there's a new way to serve, not following Attila the Hun or the Greeks and Romans, but following Jesus. So she wrote a book called Jesus CEO. And you know nobody would pick up that book? It seemed too religious. But it had this counter-cultural way of thinking, how do we serve others with our leadership? And did you know it was Disney books that picked it up, of all people? became their bestseller as people learned about Jesus. If he is your CEO, how do you operate your life in such a way to serve and care for other people? Jesus CEO, being about towels in a world obsessed with titles. Now how can we do that as a church? I want to give you three ways that you can serve others during this time. So let me give you the three of those. The first one is that I want you to realize that it's hard to give to others if you're not filled up yourself, right? And so we need to first get our own reels. God, you're with me. God, I'm in your hands. I know where I've been and I know where I'm going. Because you can't give away what you don't have. So the first way you need to serve others is let God wash you, fill you, change your own reels in your life so that you have the capacity to give to serve other people. So the first way we're about towels, say, God, fill me up, wash me, so I can wash others. All right, secondly, how do we serve not just ourselves, like getting sleep, making sure we're eating right, making sure we're breathing, not setting arbitrary deadlines. Once we've been filled up, then say, God, in the middle of this chaos, who can I serve? You might think of the elderly. You can't go visit them. There's going to be an epidemic of loneliness. This goes on 14 days, three months, whatever it ends up being. Can we FaceTime to play games with grandma and grandpa? Can we teach them some technology so we can have a phone call? Can we look around in the middle of our circumstance and say, who's hurting? Who's scared? Who needs a text? Who needs a scripture? How can I forward that to someone? In fact, I want to show you how to use our app to forward a message or a verse or a scripture to someone. I want to show you right here on the screen how that works. Let me show you how to use our app. One of the ways we want to be here to serve people during this time is a couple ways. One, we know this is going to be an incredibly challenging financial time for people. So again, thank you for all of you who've given with the foresight years ago so we could have video equipment and apps to be able to be with you, to pray with you, and to offer services to you. Thank you for your giving. And I hope you'll continue to give as we look at increased benevolence requests of the people in our community. If you have the ability, continue your regular giving and above and beyond giving as we assess the needs in our community. Secondly, the immediate needs around here, we're partnering with our 10-year-plus partners, Interparish Ministries, go directly to them, if you want to help provide for those in our immediate community, for the homeless who are facing incredibly unique challenges during this crisis, we're working with City Gospel. You can contact directly to them to send them resources as well for the areas in, in the inner city. So those are some ways to serve. How we want to serve you as a church is we're going to continue to offer on-demand services. On-demand means the minute this goes live, you can access it at any time. Not just 4.30 on Saturday, not just 8.50 on Sunday or 10, 11, 10. Anytime we go live, you'll be able to get onto the app. You can find the app at Horizon Space CC. Click on the app. And it'll come down, you'll see current messages. If you click on current messages, 
You'll see this was last week's, relying on God's promise in the midst of fear and worry. If you press the little video button, it'll play the video of the service. If you press the uh, play button next to that, it'll play the audio of the service. And if you press the cloud, it will download it onto your phone or iPad. Now the little arrow is a way to forward it. If you click on the arrow, you can forward that message directly to friends via text or via email or on Facebook. So many of you sent notes to me this week saying how helpful the message was and how many of your friends were impacted by it. This is how to use that resource. Secondly, you might say, listen, one message a week, I need more reels to change out the fear and anxiety I'm facing. You can click on past messages on your app. When you click on that, it'll pull up all the past messages. Ten years of messages are in there by a topic, and it's searchable. Now, the last three months are on video. Everything else is on audio. But if you click on the top right, the little arrow, you can click on keyword, and you might type in, for example, fear. If you click on fear, it'll search for a moment, and it'll pull up every message we've had over the last 10 years about fear. Again, you'll see, as you pull that up, there's a player button, there's a download button, and there's a forward button. Here's a series about fear from Lionhearted we did. Here's a series from Christmas Predicted. Here's a series from Baggage Claim. Benefit of the Doubt, looks like there's two of them there. One from Rhyme or Reason. So these are all resources we want to make available to you and your friends to help sort of get our mind on straight and connect with God during this time. So that's one of the ways we're here to serve you is on-demand services every weekend. Use the app to communicate. Use the app to tie into previous services, and you can also use the app to give. In fact, in the top left corner, you'll see three bars. If you click on those three bars, you pull down, there's a place to give, and there's a place called Bible Apps and Tools. If you click on that, these are actual resources for downloading Bible verses and passages of the Bible in order to study on your own during this time. So again, let's be a community that during these challenges, we choose towels over titles we use our power and influence to serve other people we come from a place of secure power and secure peace and we pour it out on our spouses we pour it out on our kids we pour it out on our employees we pour it out on our bosses we will get through this together don't set arbitrary deadlines just keep looking God how can I serve you how can I serve others in the midst of this? Because God wants to be with you. Now let me pray for you. And maybe again, maybe last week when I prayed at the end, it was your favorite part of the service because you've never had someone pray directly for you. I want to pray for you right now that God will be with you in the midst of these circumstances. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for your presence. We want to make your promises our dwelling place. We are dwelling in your peace. We are dwelling in your hope. God, we are dwelling in the promise that you are faithful, that you who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. God, we are holding on to the promise that we can do all things without anxiety. We cast our doubts on you. We cast our anxiety on you. And Father, we ask that you would be with us. Whether it's financial challenges or relational challenges or work challenges, Father, we want to subordinate those things to knowing that you are with us during this time. 
Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you again for the ways we can serve you. Feel free to continue to reach out to us via text or email. In any way, we as a church can serve you during these challenging times. Thanks so much.